Good morning and happy Friday, everybody. Trevor Hall here with your Mining Stock Daily long-form episode of the week. Happy to be back in studio this week and try to get on a a much-needed regular schedule. We had lots of market and corporate updates throughout the week, so if you missed any of them, do go back through your podcast network and get a chance to re-listen to them. Shoot me any questions you have over at Trevor at clearcreekdigital.com and I'll try to follow up with everybody uh, who is inquiring about certain companies or certain management teams. Special thank you to Integra Resources, Western Copper and Gold, Rio 2, and Arizona Sonoran Copper Company for your continued support of Mining Stock Daily. We have two segments for you. First, I I was really looking forward to airing this interview I had with John McConnell, CEO of Victoria Gold. I actually recorded it last week on my site visit there at the Eagle Mine. Uh, Just a real heartfelt conversation with John, and he kind of opens up about how to manage and continue to develop an eagle through COVID in the last couple years. So a lot of really interesting insights from John. In our second segment, Paul Harris welcomes in Joe Foster of Van Eck, who helps manage, obviously, the major gold ETFs uh, in the market. So that was an incredible discussion Paul had with Joe, first time he's actually been on the pod. So we'll leave it to you here. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you again Monday morning on The Daily Briefing. Enjoy this episode. back here on Mining Stock Daily. Trevor Hall here uh, through my tour of Yukon and I'm wrapping up my week with an interview with John McConnell, CEO of Victoria Gold. They do trade on the TSX with VGCX and uh, John, thank you so much uh, for welcoming us, welcoming me. Uh, You know, you and I have had this conversation before. I've never been on the ground at Eagle. Uh, It's really is special because I think for me anyways, Victoria was, I think that I can think of the, the, the first project that I followed from exploration into development and into production. And, you know, it was only the first project in that type of scenario where I actually got to see it into production. So, uh, first off, I just want to say congratulations with everything, uh, with you and your team have done through exploration and development and where you're at now, it hasn't been easy, but, uh, it's a testament to everybody's good work. Yeah, no, thanks Trevor. It's, uh, you know, I'd like to say it's been a lot of fun, but, uh, there's been some real tough times. Um, but I've got a hell of a good team of people, most of whom have been with me for, uh, more than 10 years. Uh, guys like Marty Rendell, our CFO, he's worked for me three different companies for the last 30 years. Uh, Mark Aranto, he joined us when we started this exercise and is still with us as COO. Uh, the newbie who you toured you around today, Dave Rulo, he's been with us for three years, but uh, he's a veteran open pit miner and has made a huge difference uh, at Eagle, I think you, 
you know, although it was a little wet and sloppy today, I think uh, you saw it's a pretty clean, tidy, efficient operation. Yeah, it's it's pretty simple as as it goes when it comes to from mining to uh, you know to the heap leach to the to the processing. It, it definitely makes very simple sense, and you, you know it's kind of. You know, going back down the street to where Banyan is and what they're doing with exploration, that it's also the simplicity. I mean, is that kind of the name of the game with this district that uh, the companies like you are kind of finding is that there is a, sim- a simple way of, of, of doing exploration and doing mining? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when we first looked at Eagle, even I was skeptical. Yeah. But uh, then you start looking at heap leaching around the world, and uh, believe it or not, we're uh, a high-grade heap leach operation. Now, we do have higher costs because we're up in the subarctic, but, uh, you know, heap leaching works. That, that has not been an issue. Uh, lots of people were concerned about that, but that has not been an issue, and then it really becomes just a dirt-moving exercise. Mm-hmm. And we're getting more and more efficient at that every day. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk about the cost and some of the numbers. You know, we, we just finished up the first half of the year, and obviously uh, the, the industry's been very much challenged with inflationary cost. Uh, all the sustaining costs have gone up all around the board. Victoria's no exception. You know, talk to us about how you and the team have kind of managed this time, what you've done right, maybe things maybe you wish you would have done differently during this time. Um, you know, how have you approached this all? Yeah, I guess, you know, to address uh, costs, it, uh, you know, we still are pretty comfortable that we're going to meet our guidance for the year. Now, if fuel costs double again, that obviously is not possible, <laughs> but at current fuel prices were uh, in reasonable shape. Um, so we'll come in at the high end of our cost guidance. Um, and, you know, as I said, fuel drives everything. Right. You know, for the first time in my career, we've got our catering company adds on a fuel surcharge for delivering food to the site. Um, so, you know, fuel, explosives are fuel plus ammonia nitrate. So. You know, your explosives go up, uh, transportation costs, getting your people to site all go up. Um, so, yeah, it's been a struggle. The things we're doing right, uh, we're trying to be more efficient all the time. You know, you can do things like hedge fuel. We've chose not to because it's very expensive, and who knows uh, what's going to happen to fuel prices, you know. So uh, we don't, We although we don't like the, risk of higher fuel prices we don't can't justify the cost of hedging Uh, what about the product you mentioned you did a little bit of hedging uh, with the product so can you walk us through that yeah when gold peaked out there i think at uh, end of may was over 2000 we hedged roughly 15 percent of our production uh for the second half Mm. so you know, uh, it's a small part of our production, but uh, at least we're guaranteed $2,000 an ounce on some of our production. Uh, one of the big themes that we've heard all week throughout the Yukon uh, challenges with obviously labor. It's hard to find people, hard to keep people right now. And I don't want to really hash out. I think it's a, it, it's obviously a global phenomenon. It's not necessarily with the mining industry 
so uh, alone. Um, but you know, tell me, like, you know, it's industry wide. What explain to me those challenges? Kind of what you're seeing, and you know, what can companies do, or do they do you see do to really try to be competitive to get new people on onto their project? Yeah, for us, a big focus is on young people. Uh, bringing them in, training them, uh, you know, developing some loyalty from them and providing loyalty to them. Um, so we have a, you know, an engineer in training program, for example, and uh, we work closely with the universities and uh, we've got a great team of young engineers that, you know, have been coming back to us for three three years on their breaks now. Mm-hmm. So that's an area, apprenticeship programs, you know, getting young people into an apprenticeship program and working their way through the system to become a Red Seal tradesman. So that's an area I think uh, we're focused on and are doing a pretty good job. The other thing we took a little different approach on right from the beginning was, uh, you know, I strongly believe any jurisdiction that has a mind developed within it the people should benefit from that development. So we've had a real focus on hiring Yukoners. We had a campaign early on, Yukoners come home, mm. and had some real good success stories. You know, I had a fella uh, come up to me one day in the cafeteria and say, uh, thank you. And I said, what, what for? And he said, well, he said, I've had time from Watson Lake, born and raised there. I had to go to Lethbridge to get work. He said, I have a son that's six and a daughter that's eight. We've moved back to Watson Lake, and they're getting to know their grandparents. So thank you. And, uh, you know, as a result of pushing hiring Yukoners, roughly 50% of our employees are from the Yukon. And I think uh, a byproduct of doing that is 25% of our workforce are First Nations, not necessarily just from the Yukon either. And 25% of our workforce are women. And I don't think there's another mine in North America that meets those kinds of metrics. Yeah. I remember um, back in February uh, where I had the honor to host the uh, Association for Mineral Exploration Awards Gala, and you received an award uh, for your commitment to Eagle and all the work you and your team have done. Um, and, uh, you tell, you told this incredible story. In fact, it was so incredible. Like I was fighting back tears up on stage, but the good thing is you weren't the only one that night that tried to make me cry. But, um, you know, it, it was a really powerful story about specifically during COVID keeping the mind open and up and running for some was incredibly beneficial because in this one gentleman's case at the time it saved his life because he knew where he would be if he wasn't on the ground um it it, it was just such a powerful such a powerful story uh, but with that as a backdrop now that we are seem to be coming out of covid in you know even with challenges with your finding new employees and labor you know, it, what did that time the last two years, I guess, how did it improve the project when it comes to your staff, your workflow, 
getting good people and keeping them and, and really like having, you know, putting some, some heart behind the project? Um, you know, I can't think of a lot of good things that came out of COVID, <laughs> to be quite honest. Um, I think uh, what it did was, uh, you know, I think sometimes we give up on people. And uh, we had a lot of good people step up and say, I want to make this mine work. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't need to go home every two weeks. I can stay in for four weeks or I can stay in for six weeks. But I'm, I just, I like my job and I want to make sure this mine is successful. So, you know, those kinds of things are very powerful for me. But uh, COVID was tough, let's face it. Yeah. it uh, you know, camp life was terrible. You can imagine a guy works 12 hours a day. He comes back to camp at the end of his shift. He goes through the cafeteria, grabs a bag lunch, and goes to his room for the next 12 hours. The cafeteria is closed. The dining room's closed. Uh, recreation facilities are closed. Um, so, you know, he might as well have been in jail. And so it wasn't a good atmosphere. And it was amazing this spring. I've spent a lot of time on site and, you know, uh, people are smiling again. They're laughing. They're in the dining room for dinner and they're joking with each other. So, Mm. you know, we got through it, but boy, it was tough. Uh, I mean, I've known you for a few years and you've always been, um, you've always been a people person, you know, like. As many conversations that you and I have had both on mic and off mic, you, like the people you work with have always been like number one priority to you. And I think that is a testament to your character. Uh, you know, but w- you said nothing was easy about COVID. Uh, you know, I, I would assume that was a really, really difficult time for you in a leadership position in a very young mind that there was a lot riding on things having to work effectively when you needed it to because if one thing got messed up you never know if you you might have to shut it down for a while now what did you learn about yourself as a ceo in management with this mining project in this company gee that's a tough one yeah um, that's what i'm here for <laughs> well i think you know i i'm a patient guy I think, you know, anybody that gets takes a, a project through exploration, permitting, financing, construction, and into operations has to be patient. It's, uh, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, the thing I learned the most is uh, keep the communications open. Um, you know, guys like Dave Rulo, who took us around today, I think at one point at the beginning of COVID, he spent three months in a row at site. Mm. And, you know, he just said to his wife, I've got to stay here. I've got to make sure this mine gets running properly. Um, so, you know, uh, I learned that there's some really good people out there. Yeah. And uh, you got to depend on them. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about where we're at now. Uh, you mentioned... you. It, it, it's looking like Victoria will hit its hit its guidance. Cost might be at the upper end of the forecast. Uh, what is kind of in the works now? What's the focus for Q3? And then expand on that a little bit more and talk to us about 
adding more ounces to that reserve, to the resource, and in extending that production longer than I think it was a 12-year mine life that you originally have planned? Sure. Um, you know, we want to increase the production rate. Um, we have what we call Project 250, and it's to get us up to 250,000 ounces per year. Um, big part of that is getting to year-round stacking. In the feasibility study, we stacked, uh, well, we didn't stack for three coldest months of the year. We've now got three winters behind us, and uh, we're pretty confident that we can go to year-round stacking. So that has the biggest impact on uh, ounces produced. We also see a lot of fines in the uh, coming out of the open pit, so we're looking at alternatives for getting those fines out of the circuit and taking them directly to the leach pad. And that gives us more capacity through the overall crushing plant. Now we had planned to put in that screening plant this year, but because of pressures on costs, we've delayed it. And uh, we actually made us look at other alternatives. We think there are some cheaper, better alternatives to get us up to that 250K number in 2023. Okay, very good. How about uh, bringing down your all in sustaining costs? They're sitting around 14, 1500. Um, there's a couple of things in the works now that obviously are a little bit more capital intensive that are kind of playing, factoring in with those numbers. Uh, but what, what can you and the team do, or what are you kind of looking at to try to increase your margins a little bit more? Well, going to a higher production rate, you know, your uh, increase the denominator uh, reduces the overall cost per ounce. So that's the number one. Um, but, uh, you know, as you said, uh, this is a high sustaining capital year for us. We uh, just finished uh, constructing a truck shop that was supposed to be built in uh, two years ago, but because of COVID, we couldn't bring in construction crews to do it. Um, we're putting in a water treatment plant. That's a regulatory agreement. We agreed that uh, by year four, we would have water treatment capability. Mm -hmm. We don't think we'll need it, but we'll have the capability. Um, and because we delayed the truck shop, meant we now have, uh, you know, six trucks that are due for major overhauls. So normally we were going to get into a rotation of four trucks being rebuilt a year. This year we're doing six. So, you know, next year there'll be no capital spent on a truck shop, no capital spent on a um, water treatment plant, and we'll get back on schedule in terms of truck rebuilds down to four. So that'll make a big difference on the all-in sustaining. You get into you, now that you're a miner, it's some nitty gritty stuff. What, what you've had a couple of years of actually producing, you know, obviously that's fun and see cash flow, you know. But you brought this up from exploration. You know, tell me about some of those pivotal moments that you kind of look back at fondly. And, and I may, if I may, uh, uh, Vice President. Uh, 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 Paul was telling us this. He was actually just telling me the story in the car, and he's probably. I hope he's not offended that I tell it, but he was telling me at the first day you guys poured 
Dore. And he, all the management was there. He poured it down. And by the end of it, you got this little smaller than a hockey puck thing of gold. And everybody was so frustrated that it wasn't a whole bar. But the only one excited was Paul because he's like, it showed us like, damn it, it works. But, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, no, that was a, a great moment. I mean, there were a number, you know, the day we agreed to terms on the project financing. Uh, you know, I think that stands out to me as a pivotal time. Um, you know, I challenged our team to get uh, um, stacking on the pad by July 1st of, I guess that's 2019. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were having a, you know, we always do a big barbecue for the community of Mayo on July 1st. And we had just finished that, and uh, Tara and I have a house in Mayo. I invited everybody back there for uh, a few cocktails, and we were just uh, having fun. And who walks in but Mark Aranto with a bag of dirt? And he said, this is off the leech pad. So <laughs> they had met my challenge. So oh, that's uh, awesome. that was pivotal, too. Then I think, uh, you know, our the day we made our first debt repayment. That was a big day, you know, because now we've got cash flow to do that. Um, You know, obviously COVID was uh, a bad day, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I can remember was at the BMO conference in Florida and, uh, you know, you're watching TV and seeing what was happening in China. And we were scheduled to go from BMO to uh, PDAC. And I said to Tara, I'm skipping PDAC. <laughs> Getting my ass up to the Yukon because I want to make sure government doesn't do anything silly like shut down the mining industry, which happened in Quebec. And I uh, met with the premier, the uh, minister of mines, and uh, they said, no, we're with you. We'll make sure things, and they got a lot of pushback. Yeah. You know, a lot of the First Nations wanted mining stopped, and Premier stood firm. No, we need mining in this territory. Yeah. So that was a good moment that yeah. he supported us. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot. There's been a lot of uh, technical reports, feasibility studies um, coming out, and we're we're seeing a lot of these. You know, capex numbers really in creaking higher and higher. I'm sure you've taken a lot of phone calls with friends and colleagues throughout the industry who are maybe in that type of situation right now. You know, what kind of advice do you give those peers of yours, um, knowing that you've done this, the challenges now are different than they were a few years back when you did it, but what kind of advice do you give them now? You know, I, I think, uh, you know, our timing was good, and that wasn't fluke. You know, we knew there was an opportune time to build Eagle. And, uh, you know, if we hadn't been fortunate enough to convince Osisco and Orion to finance the project, um, we might not have built it at all. We might be still sitting like many projects in North mm-hmm. America, just sitting because now they can't afford to build. 
So, you know, the timing was uh, everything, and I wouldn't want to be building a mine right now. You know, I talked about our little, uh, you know, uh, scalping plant. You know, the original capital cost was estimated to be about $18 million. We did the revised after it taking into case inflation, delays in supply chain, and it had gone up to about $34 million. So we went, whoa, maybe... Uh, we need to look at an alternative way of getting up to 250,000 ounces per year. Mm-hmm. You know, part of me wonders if, you know, in the last year, there's been so much pushback with these CapEx numbers being published that it is actually going to be a challenge to get those projects financed for construction. But I'm almost thinking, and, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, If what if this inflationary time period is prolonged and takes longer than most people are expecting you know the height of the inflation in the 1970s actually started in the late 60s so you talk about a decade of inflationary pressure Um, i don't know if supply in the metals for metals has 10 years that there's going to have to there's going to have to be increased supply to meet this demand but what if we like (laughs) would you be surprised if five years from now we look back and be like yeah, numbers were going up in 2022, but my God, that looked way better to finance than it does right now. Yeah, no, that could certainly happen. And, uh, you know, I don't think anybody has a crystal ball that can predict it. And, you know, I think, uh, I don't think these costs are coming down a lot. But as I said earlier, it's all driven by fuel. And, uh, you know, if fuel goes back to even $75 a barrel, um, I think a lot of the inflationary pressures come off. And then you can look at financing and building a mine again. But, uh, you know, you'd certainly want to be guaranteeing contracts and that sort of thing. Yeah. If if fuel did come back down there, would you look to uh, hedge a little bit at those prices? No, we've looked at uh, fuel hedging, and it's very expensive. Mm. You know, we constantly look at it, and if there was, uh, you know, the the moons aligned, we would do it. But uh, we certainly haven't seen the right opportunity to hedge fuel. Yeah. Uh, John, thanks so much for your time, your hospitality, for the tour, and uh, best of luck this summer and into the fall. I'll see you again, probably Beaver Creek. So thanks so much. Okay, thanks, Trevor. That's always great showing off Eagle and uh, hosting mining people. It's, It's been a fun week. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Mining Stock Daily with me, Paul Harris. Today we're talking about gold. Hopefully we're going to have a, a wide-ranging discussion. And I'm joined by Joe Foster of uh, Vanek. Good morning, Joe. How are you today? Good morning, Paul. Hi there. Well, it's definitely, uh, there's never a dull moment in the gold sector, it seems. And uh, we're, we're currently in the, the midst of, um, I suppose, what many people would say is a, a very interesting moment in time. The gold price has come off uh, $200 per ounce from, or $3,000 per ounce from a high of over $2,000 early this year. It's currently uh, just under $1,800 an ounce. Um, 
and that has sort of played havoc with the gold equities, uh, the share prices. How do you view what's currently happening in the gold space? Well, you know, if you would have told me that uh, we'd be facing, you know, a few years ago, if you'd have told me we'd be facing a pandemic, a war in Europe and, and double digit inflation, I, I would have thought that gold would be much higher than it is today, certainly well above $2,000 an ounce. And we've looked into why uh, gold isn't performing as, as we would have expected. And we're coming up with two answers. One is that um, we've looked at past inflationary cycles. And what we found is that uh, gold performance is somewhat subdued early in the inflationary cycle, but later in the second half of a cycle, it performs extremely well. And I think what's happened in past cycles and, and what we're seeing currently is the market believes that inflation is not a long-term problem. Um, the Fed raises rates and uh, the market believes that the Fed's going to be successful in stamping out inflation. It's not until later in the cycle when inflation starts to get out of control or if the Fed brings on a recession and has to pull back and, and stop, uh, uh, stop uh, tightening. Um, that's when gold really, really takes off. The second uh, problem gold is having is, is with the dollar. The dollar has been strong. And if you look at past secular bull markets for gold, uh, there's been you know two in the past 50 or more years. One was in the 70s and the other was in the 2000s. In each of those bull markets, the dollar was in secular decline. However, the dollar has been firm in this market. We can't call it a bull market, but it, it's, been, it's been stable. And at times it's been very strong. In fact, we saw the dollar making new 20 year highs a couple of weeks ago. So that's something that's different in this bull market. And I think the strong dollar has been holding gold back. Thank you, Joe. Uh, so a, a lot to sort of digest there. Um, the Bank of England in the UK was talking this week, it raised its uh, interest rates by 0.5%. It's talking about um, you know, inflation in the UK is going to hit 13%. The UK is going into recession. So it seems that... Um, um, that that's potentially if if the same thing happens or similar thing happens in the US, you know that that's potentially going to be very good for gold. And um, given the strong US dollar, I'd like to ask you, what's it going to take for the dollar to come down? And in the meantime, I suppose a strong US dollar is perhaps good for the gold producers whose assets are in other countries, whether it's Canada, Brazil, um, Australia, because obviously they're selling their product in US dollars. And the, the local the local costs are perhaps being impacted by that exchange rate in a positive way. Yeah, as far as uh, what what could cause the dollar to, to reverse course and start to weaken, uh, it's you know you got Japan pegging their rates at zero while everybody else is raising rates. You have a, a war going on in Europe right now, and so uh, I mean there's there's good reasons for the dollar to be strong, and it's hard to to, to see any of those dynamics changing anytime soon. So, you know, I think the default outlook is for, for a, 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 at least a firm, if not stronger dollar going forward. Um, what would cause that to turn is, is I think if the Fed were to back off, if, if um, uh, you know, if, if the US does follow uh, Europe into, into a, a recession and the Fed is, is forced to stop raising rates or even reverse course, I think that would uh, definitely put a damper on the dollar and be very good for gold. As far as the strong dollar helping uh, gold companies abroad, 
Um, unfortunately, that's being more than offset by uh, inflationary pressures around the world. So um, I, I guess, uh, uh, you know, mining in the U.S. Is, is hit on both fronts, inflation and, and the strong dollar, whereas I guess you get a bit of a cushion, cushion out elsewhere in the world from, from, uh, from the strong dollar, but uh, the inflationary pressures are kind of outweighing that right now. Okay. I think something that really encapsulates that, Joe, was the announcement this week by B2 Gold that it's not going to go ahead with its Gramolotti project because it doesn't meet its, uh, its, uh, its, its financial hurdles. And during the conference call, the CEO, Clive Johnson, said that uh, um, over the past couple of years, they've uh, reduced the, they've successfully reduced the, the planned capex from $900 million to $100 million. I, they've made $100 million of saving, but inflation's taken all of those away. So the project's still not economic. Okay, so um, the gold price has come down from $2,000 an ounce to $1,700, uh, $1,800 an ounce. Historically, that's still a high level and um, the producers are still you know, making good money. Margins aren't as good as they perhaps were, but they're still making good money. So why have equities been hit so much? Do you think? Well, I think sentiment in the sector. There's, there's a. I mean, sentiment is not good in the gold sector, and um, uh, gold has been struggling. And and that's. I mean, that's the key driver for these gold stocks is is, is the gold price itself. So, um, I, I think um, it's just uh, uh, the market is not looking at gold or gold stocks right now. There's there's a lack of buyers out there. Um, and that's that's compounded. We've you know a lot of a lot of companies have disappointed uh, with second quarter results uh, due to uh, uh, COVID uh, measures to to you know comply with COVID restrictions and um, and inflationary pressures. So that's that's added to to the uh, uh, poor performance of the gold stocks lately. Okay. Now, given that uh, a lot of uh gold equity valuations have come down, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 percent even. Um, it would seem it's a, a buyer's market out there. Obviously, the Vanek uh, with its active fund, you're, you're a buyer of gold stocks. Are you sort of going shopping at this moment in time? Well, we've been pretty much fully invested um, because there are so many risks in the world that can drive gold right now. I mean, there's the inflation that we talked about, recessionary pressures, um, geopolitical. Uh, I mean, the uh, the range of risks that could potentially drive gold um, are I, you never see as much as we're seeing right now, rarely. So we could walk in one morning and gold could be up a hundred dollars an ounce and headed higher. I mean, something could happen somewhere in the world that could really get gold driving. So while I, while I, you know, the gold stocks are certainly oversold at these levels, and I do think they present a, a buying opportunity. We've been fully invested because we, we think we are in a secular bull market, even though we've had some price weakness recently. We are in a secular bull market, and we do expect to see gold prices trending much higher. Okay, thank you. Now, what, one other aspect related to this, of course, we, with cheaper equities, um, some people would argue that M&A may become more attractive for companies who's, who've got cash or whose equity hasn't been as hit as hard as perhaps some target companies. Um, 
Vanek, in, in May, you put out a sort of note to your sort of investors about about MA activity. And you, you basically said, or, or the company basically said, you know, stock performance has to improve. You want uh, companies to be more attractive to investors of the sector. And a sure way to do that is through consolidation and specifically um, non-premium consolidation, non-premium mergers or, or non-premium deals. Um, can you elaborate on that a bit? And has that position sort of changed since May? Uh, it hasn't changed at all. In fact, um, you know, what we were talking about there is, is specifically the juniors. Um, there's, there's a lot of juniors out there, hundreds of juniors really. And we're not seeing the uh, uh, M&A in this cycle like we've seen in previous cycles where larger companies go after the juniors. The larger companies are, are content to, uh, uh, to pursue organic growth and internal opportunities more than M&A opportunities. And it's, it's been working out very well. I mean, I mean, many companies are sustaining their production through uh, organic means. And so that leaves the juniors to, you know, it's incumbent on them to, to uh, do what they have to do to create value. I mean, that's what we expect as, as shareholders. And one way, way to do that, something that, that I don't think we've seen much, if at all, historically with the juniors is, is uh, an M&A cycle where juniors are getting together to create uh, the critical mass to become bigger, more substantial companies on their own. And when we look around the world, there are, there are many juniors that uh, that might have properties in the same same district or the same region or even even in, in the same same country, where if they join forces, they can reduce their costs, um, create larger companies that more are more attractive to investors, and uh, have easier access to financing. So I I'd, I'd really like to see some some uh, M&A activity amongst, amongst the smaller companies to, to uh, achieve that. Okay. Vanek is obviously a, 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 you know, a thought leader, a powerful voice in the industry, and obviously a, a key investor. Is Vanek looking at being more of an active investor in the sense of you know, steering, perhaps trying to steer some of the companies you're invested in to, you know, more aggressively to sort of do what you've just said, sort of to look to, to merge with other companies or similar companies or companies in the similar jurisdiction to, to realize these benefits? Well, we're, we're not active in the sense that we don't, we don't take board seats. We don't, uh, you know, we don't uh, mount proxy battles, but um, we have always uh, shared our, our opinions and beliefs um, with the companies that we own and, and, uh, and, and with the industry. So um, I don't see us being any more active than, or, or inactive than, than we've ever been. It's just a matter of, of um, um, doing what we believe makes sense and, and is right, right for the industry and, and for the companies that we own. Okay, thank you. Now, so coming up in about one month's time is the, the Gold Forum Americas in, in Colorado Springs, uh, a meeting you sort of habitually attend. What, what are you looking for from that meeting this year? Um, is it to get up to date with some of the companies you're already invested in? Are you looking for new opportunities or just really looking to get a um, you know, better feel for the pulse, so to speak? Um, it's always a chance to catch up with, with the companies. So that's, you know, that's, that's key. I mean, as far as looking for opportunities, um, yeah, we might, we might um, meet with some companies we're not familiar with, but um, we, we, we live and breathe 
gold stocks. So whatever opportunities are out there, we, we pretty much know what they are going into this. So it's more getting caught up and then surveying the landscape. I mean, we, we were disappointed with some of the reporting this quarter. So just, just kind of getting, getting a feel for where, where this inflationary cycle is going and, and, um, and uh, how long it will last and, and what its impact will be on the miners. It does seem that um, the second quarter results, the June quarter results have been sort of quite variable. Some companies have performed you know, quite well. Others have uh, had sort of quite shocking cost escalation and underperformance. Um, what's your view of the overall um, results so far? I mean, every industry on the planet is struggling with inflation right now. Um, and it seems the gold industry, it, it hasn't hit the gold industry in, in a significant way until just, just this year. Um, and I mean, aside from that, I mean, these companies are still generating uh, a lot of cash. I mean, these companies are, are healthy. In fact, the industry is, is in better shape than I've maybe ever seen it, literally, in my career. Um, I mean, their, their balance sheets are strong. We saw Endeavor raise their, their dividend the other day. Um, so they're paying, uh, they've got nice yields. So um, the, the, uh, the industry looks great. And, and these, these inflationary pressures are pretty much beyond their control. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's become a, um, it's, just, it's, it's just something that every industry has to deal with now. So, you know, if you strip that aside, I mean, you know, the, the industry looks, looks great to us. Um, and, it, uh, and, and I, I guess what I'm saying is just, we're still kind of trying to get a handle on, on, on what, where it's going in the longer term. Okay. Thank you, Joe. As a sort of final question, uh, crystal ball time, um, how do you think the remainder of this year is going to play out in the gold space and gold equities, of course? Well, I, I, I think gold put in its low for the year at, uh, when it dropped to, to six, around the 1680 level uh, a week ago or whenever that was. Um, uh, so, I mean, gold and, and gold stocks especially were extremely oversold at that point. If, if you look at valuations, if you look at, at positioning on, on in, in the markets, uh, um, it's all telling us that gold is oversold. So, you know, I would expect a, a more positive trend going into year end. And I think over the next 12 months, I think we can, considering some of these risks that we talked about just a minute ago, I think it, gold can, uh, can go back and test its all time highs sometime in the next 12 months. I think a lot of people would uh, welcome that with open arms. Excellent. Thank you, Joe. It's been a riveting conversation. Um, Joe Foster from Vanek, thank you very much for joining us today. All right. Thanks, Paul. And that's all for me, Paul Harris. Join us for more from Mining Stock Daily soon. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.